Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and we got a great show lined up for you today. We're starting today by talking with the crippler, Chris Lieben, about his bare-knuckle boxing match with Phil Baroni. Plus, we're talking about Floyd Mayweather heading to Risen and having God knows what kind of match over there. Plus, we're counting down the top five GOAT heavyweights of all time and breaking down UFC Denver. I hope you're going to enjoy it. It is a packed episode, and it is, of course, brought to you by the great people at ADK Fightwear. Look, if you're looking for some top-of-the-line MMA and BJJ gear, you're going to want to check out ADK Fightwear. Go to ADKFightwear.com right now to see a company that is bringing you top-of-the-line geese, rash guards, and spats, all while keeping the money in your wallet. That's right. You no longer have to break the bank to get high-quality gear to roll in. Check out ADK. Use our exclusive promo promo code TURTLE, that's T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, to get 20% off your whole order. That means you can get things such as their rash guard, the arm bars and stripes rash guard, for just 16 bucks. That's right, 16 bucks. Where else can you get a brand new high-quality rash guard to roll in for 16 bucks? Nowhere. Nowhere except for ADKFightwear.com, and they bring you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby, Greenland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to the crippler Chris Lieben, who fights Phil Baroni in the World Bare Knuckle Fighting Federation on November 9th. So, Chris, I want to ask you, first of all, how'd you get in- involved with the Bare Knuckle Fighting Federation, and, and sort of what drew you into that concept? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, I got a call originally from... The other guy. So there's two bare knuckle organizations, and we, you know, this is the first show for this one. So we'll just call them the other guys. And, uh, you know, they, they asked me if I said, you know, I'm, I'm happily retired, da, da, da. And then I kind of started looking at it on YouTube, and I was like, man, this is, uh, this sport is kind of handmade for me, you know, like this is just perfect. Um, you know, so ultimately I called him back. I said, well, how much money are we talking about? You know, obviously. And, you know, started to work some negotiations with them. And then that's when I got a call from, from these guys. They offered me Phil Baroni, who's just, uh, you know, a spectacular opponent for, for me, for where I'm at and for, for what I want to do. You know, the important thing to me is to go out and have good, exciting fights, you know. So to have the opportunity to fight a guy like Phil Baroni, who, Win, lose, or draw, his fights are never boring. Um, I, I, I say the same thing about myself. So, you know, it was just kind of, kind of a no-brainer. So, so for you, it came down to, uh, in, in choosing between the two, which one had more money in the better matchup, really? Uh, well, one was late in getting me the contract. You know, they, they, I was already supposed to have signed with them. You know, I agreed to a certain amount and signed the contract. It was late. That's when the other guy thought. I actually got a phone call from, from my friend, uh, Joe Daddy Stevenson, and he's like, hey, I heard you're going to say, you know, he's like, well, don't do it yet, you know, hear these guys out, um, you know, and, and yeah, they made me a uh, an offer I couldn't refuse, um, an opponent that I loved, and literally within minutes, they had the contract over to me, and it was done. Well, there's certainly something, so just kind of, yeah, something to be said. Kind of like, you know, early bird gets the worm kind of a thing. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Now, you said earlier, too, that uh, that this organization or this type of fighting is tailor-made for you. What, what do you mean by how uh, bare-knuckle fighting is tailor-made for your style? Well, I mean, it's, you know, the whole reason that you're getting in there in, in, in bare-knuckle boxing is to stand toe-to-toe and throw blows, you know. Um, there's no there's no taking shooting a shot and just holding the guy down, you know, and pitter-pattering. There, there's no running backwards, throwing spinning back kicks, you know. It's just toe-to-toe, you know, just, just swinging. Um, and and, I, and I, I feel like that's what I'm the best at. I feel like there's really not... Many guys that, that really want would want to stand in front of me, you know. So, so I mean, it's exciting. It's exciting for me to get in there, there and do, you know. Also, it's you know, it's bare knuckle boxing. I mean, it's historic. You know, it's new to us, but it's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, and for me as as a martial artist and you know wanting to do everything that that, that combat sports entails. You know, I've done. Jiu-Jitsu tournaments, I've done kickboxing matches, I started training boxing in the eighth grade, you know, and then obviously MMA. So now to have the opportunity to uh, to, to do a bare-knuckle boxing match, I mean, that's definitely one for the bucket list. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I, I kind of have a question, too, about how you get prepared for this, because, you know, I've seen other people preparing with, you know, the full gloves on, but at the same time, I, I feel like, you know, maybe punches aren't thrown quite as hard when you have no padding on them. What, what type of sparring do you do to get ready for this type of fight? I mean, obviously, I, I feel like you can't do the, you know, like a full-on sparring, but what, what are you sort of doing to get yourself ready for this fight with Baroni? Well, I mean, for me, you know, it's common sense. Um, you know, one, you know, you've got to take care of your hands. And two, you've got to take care of your face before <laughs> the fight starts, you know. I don't want to go into the fight with a cut above my eye and a broken hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, when you consider those things, you know, you do your hard sparring with big gloves. You do more technical sparring with little gloves. And then, you know, I've been working, doing a lot of bag work and a lot of mitts with, uh, with no gloves at all. Just, just wrapping the way that we're going to wrap when we compete. Just, you know, really kind of calculating and, and dialing in, you know, that, that, that hitting range because it is different. The difference between a boxing glove and an MMA glove is huge. That, that two inches of padding is a huge difference. And the difference between an MMA glove and no glove at all is, is, is also huge. You know, so, so absolutely, you know, those things need to be uh, accounted for. Yeah, and, and so you talked just a little bit there about like, you know, pretty much three different kinds of sparring you got to do for this type of fight. How much was this a change from your regular lifestyle? Because I know you were, you know, retired, so to speak, but I also know, you know, a lot of fighters, obviously, that are retired continue training. How much was this, you know, like pretty intense, specialized sparring uh, a change on your usual routine? I mean, the biggest change of my routine, you know, is as the flight fight grew closer, you know, I had to cut my grappling back. Um, I mean, I'm in the gym, you know, six, seven days a week anyways. I coach full-time. I, and really, I, I never, not for a day have I stopped training. It's, it's, it's who I am. It's what I love to do. You know, so I've been continuing to train, continuing to coach, you know, and then, you know, once, once the fight was signed, obviously then, you know, you start dialing in some, some specialty stuff, working a lot more on my footwork, on my striking, on my boxing, doing, doing more mitts, more stuff of that nature. 
Um, you know, and, and my grappling rounds have been more of, you know, clinch, dirty boxing, you know, off bouncing, all that fun stuff that, uh, that you get to do in bare knuckle that you can't do in regular boxing. Yeah, that, that, that's really cool. Now, I, I got to ask you, too, you're, you're in the gym seven days a week doing grappling, doing boxing, doing pretty much everything else. Had, had bare knuckle boxing not come up and, and been an idea, do you feel like you would have the itch to fight MMA again? I would, yeah, yeah, and I, I was already talking about it as a matter of fact, you know. Um, I had actually put a few feelers out there, you know, we had contacted Bellator, contacted some other leagues, um, you know, trying to trying to see, what you know, where the best opening was, and, you know, that's when I got the call from, from the bare knuckle people, it was right about that time, so it was really perfect, I mean, everything happens for a reason, you know, so... You know, right when I started to look, I started to put my feelers out, then they, they, they reached out and contacted me. Yeah, so, so you feel like this is, is sort of like a better replacement from, you know, like diving back into MMA full-time again. This is giving you maybe a, a replacement for that itch? Uh, I mean, it's definitely a fight, you know. There's no way around it. Yeah, so, you de- you know, you definitely prepare like you're getting ready for a fight. Um, the, the rules are slightly different, but, you know, um, in my mind, it, it's a combat sport. It's, it's what I love to do, you know, and, and I'm excited because every time you, you change the rules or you change the setting in any sort of way, you really, really change what it is you're doing in there and the best way to do it. So I'm excited to see how my game plan works out and how, how my preparation and planning, you know, um, how, how that all goes down come November 9th. Yeah, and we're certainly excited to see it in number on November 9th as well. Um, before I let you go, Chris, I, I did want to ask you a couple of questions too about MMA because you know it's not all that often we have you know one of the the original you know MMA bad boys you know tough one uh, alumni on the show. I, I wanted to ask you you know looking back at, at your MMA career, what was there a memory that you hold most fond about? you know, at what you did in MMA? Was there something that you look back and you're like, yeah, that was that was the best moment of my MMA career? You know, there were several. I, I always say that, that, you know, your next fight is always the most important fight of your life. Um, you know, but yeah, go, going through my career, you know, obviously my, my win when I was down and out against Terry Martin was pretty big. My win against Akiyama, you know, I had lost that fight, and there was only a couple seconds left, you know, ultimately getting that triangle. And then, you know, probably what most people would say was, you know, that, that quick knockout over Vanderlei Silva. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all those were huge moments for me. Uh, definitely, you know, Vanderlei Silva being my hero, probably if I had to pick one, you know, um, you know, I had to lobby the UFC to even let me fight him. They didn't think I was even on this league, you know, and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was able to get that fight, and, and it worked out well for me uh, quickly. You know, that was that's probably definitely one of the uh, the highlights of my career for sure. Yeah, and those are, those are some of my favorite fights as well, especially the Akiyama one. Now, uh, w- real quick, let's go right back to, to bare knuckle boxing uh, before I let you go. Uh, obviously, you told us a little bit of what you think about Baroni as an opponent. Uh, how, how do you sort of see this this fight going down? Do you expect it to be, you know, a, a quick one? Do you expect this to be, you know, one of those, you know, many round wars? What what? How do you expect this one to go down? 
You know, I always say you prepare for the worst and hope for the best. There's that that old saying, you know, cry in the dojo, laugh on the battlefield. So I I, I prepare for a five round war. You know, that's that's what that's what uh, is in my mind going into the fight. Um, if you know something happens and I'm able to finish it earlier than that, well, I'll take it. You know, that's great. But uh, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to go all five hard so you know that that's that's what what i have set in my mind well either way it goes down we'll be excited to see it once again this was chris lieben he fights phil baroni in the world bare knuckle fighting federation on november 9th chris we thank you so much for the time we really appreciate it right on man thank you have a good one and that interview with the crippler Chris Lieben was brought to you by Sheath Underwear. If you are sick of being uncomfortable when you roll, or when you do any kind of physical activity for that matter, you gotta check these guys out. You'd be crazy to wear boxers when you roll, and if you are still wearing those briefs or boxer briefs while you're rolling, you're crazy too. Because any standard briefs are gonna crush your marbles. You're gonna wind up all sweaty, and you're gonna readjust yourself a hundred times while you're on the mat. It's disgusting, and you don't want to be that disgusting bastard playing with your nuts at jiu-jitsu. Instead, get some sheath underwear, which has a front pocket that allows your package to be supported while still getting plenty of airflow so they stay cool. You won't have to put your hands down your pants, or your gi pants, or your shorts, or whatever it is, adjusting things a hundred times. On top of that, they're also moisture wicking, so you can stay fresh and clean down there all while rolling. So try them for yourself at sheathunderwear.com and don't forget to use promo code FLOW, that's F-L-O, for 20% off that whole order. I, of course, am Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with Shockwave Dave Tremonti. Dave, what do you think of that little insight into the world of uh, preparing for a bare-knuckle fight? Well, Gumby, I, like you, am a huge Chris Lieben fan, so I'm just excited to see him back. To be honest, I feel like bare-knuckle boxing is almost safer than MMA and what it takes to go into a full MMA camp. You know, it's just one aspect. It's the striking. It's not going to be grappling or kicking or anything like that. So call me crazy. As someone who doesn't want to see Chris Lieben have to take more damage, I almost prefer him to do the bare-knuckle boxing. Yeah, and I actually heard an interview, uh, Submission Radio, we'll give credit where credit's due, to Boss Rutten, who has a... I think he's the president of this company who is talking about how people actually take less damage because you, you pull the punches a little bit to make sure you don't shatter your hand on every single one. So, you know, it, to that extent, you know, I think you're right. It is safer uh, in those regards. And, you know, I, I think at the same time, it's, it's a way, like he said before, he it can be really entertaining to watch him and, and Phil Baroni throw down one more time. Um, so you get the nostalgia, you get some entertainment, and you get to see, like you said, two guys who definitely don't need to take more punishment um, get to dish out a little bit of punishment. I'm so excited for our episode today. We kicked it off with Chris Lieben. Uh, we'll get to a little bit of UFC news and then go to our combat countdown on the top five greatest heavyweight fighting careers or heavyweight MMA careers, uh, followed, of course, by our UFC Denver breakdown. But let's get to the news of the day. Uh, bye-bye flyweight division. The flyweight division in the UFC is going out of business. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this is something you've been calling for for a while. And, uh, you know, it's sad to see so many flyweights go. But, you know, I... I, I... You know, it's just really hard to continue to keep selling it. You said it. You know, like they're looking for title fights that are constantly going to be able to headline a pay-per-view card, and the names just aren't there. You know, I, I almost sort of wish they waited a little bit to see if 
Cejudo was going to be that, like, headliner who could sell pay-per-views. I don't think he would have been, um, but it would have been interesting to at least see it. Um, I guess, I mean, he's going to wind up at 135 along with, you know, probably all the other ones you, fighters you really care about. Like, Ray Borg will probably be 135, Benavidez will be 135, Pettis will be 135, Wilson Hayes was damn near 135, um, and Jose Formiga is could probably do 135 and then after that i mean you're going to see a lot of guys leaving um which is sort of disappointing but at the same time um you'll see enough of them continue on that you're not going to feel too bad about the division leaving at the end you can go back to our archives episode 140 last week we had a very long discussion on the flyweight division i broke down how the presentation of 125 uh pounders 125 pound men on a fight card with bigger guys just doesn't work. I think it needs to be its own show. Let's see if another promotion can make men's flyweight division uh, viable, and UFC could always bring it back. 135-pound division, one of my favorite divisions, tons mm-hmm. of exciting fighters, and now if you have someone like Cejudo moving up there, maybe friend of the pod, Ray Borg, uh, I'm very excited about that. It just infuses more talent into an already stacked 135 division. We'll keep moving around. Floyd Mayweather, uh, I think everyone kind of called this from the jump. It was said that he was going to go fight on Risen New Year's Eve show in Japan, uh, that he would be fighting, and I'm going to butcher this name, Tenshin Nasakua, Nasakawa, who's a very nice prospect in MMA, 4-0, has a win by submission, but really known for his kickboxing. Uh, he's an all-world kickboxer and boxer. Uh, so it's kind of exciting to think about, but we found out today that, in fact, it is not happening. Uh, not really a shock. Floyd will not be fighting for Risen. What do you think? Uh, you, you, I, I was never really all that excited about this anyway, because you had to know when they, they made the announcement and they said there's no deal on the rule set yet, you had to assume it was going to be like an exhibition or it was going to be a rule set that heavily favored Floyd. Like, Floyd is not going into an MMA fight at this point. At 50-0, he's got a claim to, like, the best boxer in history right now. Why would he taint that by fighting kickboxing or MMA? The dude is never going to fight those two things. So uh, I was never all that excited anyway. It was going to be either a boxing match or like a subpar slow exhibition boxing match. So I I was never really that pumped anyway, but this makes even more sense that Floyd had no idea what Ryzen was trying to pull off. Yeah, it just, it, I almost feel like it's not even worth talking about. And Floyd will never do MMA. He's a very smart guy. He knows what would happen if you involved grappling and kicking mm. into the mix. We'll move on. But speaking of, uh, Eastern, the Eastern world MMA promotions, I guess, uh, one FC out of China, uh, hot off signing, uh, Eddie Alvarez is now rumored to be signing not only Misha Tate for a fight, uh, for her to take a fight out of retirement, but also Sage Northcutt, the UFC's golden boy, the guy they wanted to put on posters and make a household name. What do you think? Um, I mean, I think it actually makes more sense for Sage. Uh, you know, like he's at his current state, he's not going to be a UFC champion anytime soon. One is going to pay him more. Um, you know, he'd be extremely marketable over there. You know, he's got that, like, muscled-up look that that seems to sell pretty well over there, or at least did back in the the 
earlier days of MMA in Asia. So I, I think he'd probably do better over there, probably make more money over there. And it's very clear to me that the United States market does not like Sage Northcutt. No, they don't. I mean, he was pushed down fans' throats. I think there's a very big parallel if you're a wrestling fan on how WWE sometimes pushes wrestlers to the top. And there's a backlash from hardcore fans. Mm -hmm. You saw it with John Cena originally. You saw it with Roman Reigns. Uh, and that's kind of the way Sage came across with the UFC. You could tell the UFC was just I dying, dying for the fans to accept him so they could make him that household name. Uh, he, you know, he obviously looks good on a poster, but that doesn't necessarily mean that fans want to see him fight. You know, Nate Diaz does not have a G.I. Joe body, but fans <laughs> fucking love him. Because uh, he's real and authentic, something that I think was always missing from Sage as well. I mean, he might be real, he might be authentic, uh, but I don't know. Sometimes he comes off a little phony. Mm. So fans rejected him. And the other thing was they pushed him to a prime spot when he was probably too young in his MMA career. I guess it was probably because with Bellator uh, hot on their heels as the second major American promotion with their uh, the eyeballs that see them on Spike TV every Friday night signing good talent. I think in years past, they would have let a Sage Northcutt go somewhere else and grow as an MMA fighter, but they thought, hey, let's get him young, and hopefully it'll come along with his progress, and it just never came along, right? Like, yeah, his grappling yeah. never really got to where it needed to be. That should have been happening in a smaller promotion. Yeah. He should have joined the UFC as a 8-4 and four fighter, or an 8-2 and two fighter, not a 2-0 and o fighter. Yeah, and I, I don't even know... I'll also throw this out here, too, just as a uh, thought about American fans in combat sports. American fans in combat sports do not like a, like, pretty boy-looking man. You know, like, <laughs> it, it, look look at how much hate Luke Rockhold gets. Look at how much hate Elias Theodoro gets on Twitter. Like, these dudes get, like, a pretty significant amount of hate for being, like, the good-looking men in MMA. Um... So th th there's another reason Sage Northcutt was never going to sell in the U.S. That's a good point. I mean, I guess the female fans should like him, though, in that regard. But, yeah, not the male fans. Um, all right. We will move on to our combat countdown this week. It's the top five greatest heavyweights. We threw this out to our Twitter audience, at Top Turtle MMA. Follow the show for trivia, for giveaways. For all-around MMA news, it's really a one-stop shop, if I do say so myself. Uh, but we threw it out to the Twitter fans. After DC with his uh, defense against Derek Lewis, now being a perfect 12-0 at heavyweight, uh, you know, where does he rank in the all-time pantheon? We threw it out to Twitter. We got some great feedback, so we will get to that momentarily. But first, Gumby, can you tell us, does any fine company sponsor this top this top five greatest heavyweight of all time combat countdown of course the combat countdown is always brought to you by csu mouth guards head to sisu guard.com for the only mouth guard that allows you to talk breathe and drink all with the mouth guard up in your mouth you are going to like the way this feels it changes the way you roll once again sisu guard.com check them out you're going to like the way the mouth guard feels. I guarantee it. I go to jiu-jitsu several times a week with my Sisu mouth guard. You will never see me without a Sisu mouth guard protecting my chompers. And I can talk to my teammates while I'm rolling. It's really a feat of science, if you will. Uh, so like Gumby said, SISUguard.com. Head there. Check it out. 
All right, we will start our combat countdown with an honorable mention. When talking about the greatest heavyweights of all time, we're really going uh, a deep dive into resumes. And while this guy maybe never became UFC heavyweight champion and maybe doesn't have uh, the plethora of wins that our real top five have, he's one of the funnest fighters of all time. He's one of the greatest fighters of all time. He just didn't make the, the top five. But give it up to our honorable mention, Mirko Krokop. Yeah, Mirko Krokop made a lot of your lists out there on Twitter, and I certainly hear the argument and the excitement, the knockouts. He had it all there. But when we we put this list together, it was really about thinking about who has the resume to really claim that they were proven, tested, tested, and passed most or all of those tests. Um, and, and when you look at Miracle Krokop, he he certainly has some big name wins, but he's also got a whole bunch of losses too in there. So. While he's super exciting, while he faced some of the best of the very best, um, there are definitely five people here with resumes that stand out just a little bit more than his. Well, I think the thing with him, you know, is the multiple wins over Barnett, uh, a win over Coleman. So right there, he has two uh, wins over former UFC champions, heavyweight champions, I should say. But then he has a lot of losses that, you know, you just kind of are like, he took a, a loss to Mark Hunt. Okay, mm. Mark Hunt's a 500 fighter. He took the head kick loss, irony there, to Gabriel Gonzaga. Mm. He lost to Czech Congo when Czech Congo was really not that great. Um, you know, it just seems like stuff like that. I still to this day uh, think that his draw with Nobuhiko Takada was uh, just Japanese chicanery. I, I don't really believe that he was going to draw with him, but it's just stuff like that that I think keeps him out of the greatest, like, top-of-the-top top heavyweights of all time. Um, you know, has a win over Alexander Emelianenko, has a loss to Fedor Emelianenko, no shame in that, really. But it's like, where else do you go to say, oh, my God, I can't believe he beat that guy? Mm. Pat Barry? Yeah. I, you know, the submission right. went over Pat Barry. Um, <laughs> That's true. All right, so now we'll get to the creme de la creme, and we'll start with number five. Uh, it's Steve Miocic. Yeah, and some people probably had Steve Miocic a lot higher than this, but uh, we got him at five because if you really look at his resume, there's really only three former UFC heavyweight champs on that list. It's Fabrizio Verdum, it's a very aged Andre Arlovski, and it's going one and one with Junior Dos Santos. I mean, he's also got a win over Overeem and Hunt, who are, who are some pretty big names. Um, but when you, you look at who he's beaten that you would consider like top tier heavyweights, uh, he doesn't have a ton of them on there. Obviously, his three straight UFC heavyweight title defenses is the record, so he's got to be featured on this list somewhere. But that like lack of like a depth within his big names uh, sort of bumps him further down this list. You know, I think as we get to the top of the list, and you know, you can hate tweet us at Top Turtle MMA if you really feel like Stipe should have been higher, and we saw a lot of votes uh, for Stipe to be higher, but. It's just, and maybe it's not his fault, but the heavyweight division was not uh, deep. It was not stacked when he was on top of it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's not his fault. Do I pick Stipe in his prime versus, you know, even let's say Fedor in his prime? I might, <laughs> you know, I might. But Fedor is going to have more wins on his record that make you say, holy shit, he beat everyone at a time when the heavyweight division was He's more really proven. at its... Yeah, I think so. I think yep. so. You know, 
Stipe beating Mark Hunt again is like I just I, I can't necessarily go crazy over that. Mm-hmm. I like I love Mark Hunt, but it doesn't get you to the top of a combat countdown. We'll move along those same lines. This man has a head to head win over Stipe, thus why he's ranked. Uh, just a tick higher, coming in at number four, it's Daniel Cormier. Yeah, and I know some people are going to have a problem with this, so once again, make sure you hit us up on Twitter and tell us why we suck. Um, but yeah, Daniel Cormier, while he's got a, a pretty crazy record when you look at it all, uh, his heavyweight record, not terribly impressive when you look at names. Uh, again, Steve Miocic is a big name, Josh Barnett's a big name, and then to, if you're looking for number three of the most impressive dudes he beat, Frank Mir might be the most impressive name after those two, right? It's like not Derek Lewis, it's not Bigfoot Silva, you know, like not Roy Nelson. Like those are not like really great resume builders. So if you again, if you're making this list based on like I watched him and this is what my assessment of his talent level is in his prime versus somebody else in his prime, you might rank him higher. But resume wise, DC at four is even almost a little bit of a stretch there. Well, I think also, you know, we could come back in a year and redo this list, and if DC defends against Brock and then goes out with one more win, because I think he probably has two to three more fights left in him, where let's say he beats John Jones at heavyweight or something, or whatever it is, I don't know. Maybe, you know, we'll rank him a little higher, but for right now, I'm comfortable with him being there. Again, hate tweet us at Top Turtle MMA, because we saw the votes and we know that he came in higher, but fuck it people this is our list <laughs> but we did take your feedback in a lot of ways because i don't even know that we were going to have stipe on this um but he came in so high for so many people and as we get to the top of the list we did feature some fighters all right spoiler alert fedor who was on everyone's list so mm-hmm. we didn't go crazy there we'll move then to number three it's a teammate of dc and again we're not talking about how good he was in his prime we're just talking about resumes here it's kane velasquez yeah, but if we are talking about him in his prime, I probably do take him over DC. When, when you know, Kane was at his very best, I, I liked him over just about anybody. He beat Dos Santos twice. He beat Brock Lesnar, which are two pretty crazy former champions who were at their sort of pinnacle when he beat them, um, which is, for me, makes those wins even more impressive, right? Because that was like the cream of the crop JDS. That was cream of the crop Brock Lesnar, and neither of them could well, hold. I'm going to have to stop you there. Oh, I, that's true. It's it's sick Brock Lesnar, right? Yeah, it was it is... sick Brock Lesnar. The guy had like a, a he had diverticulitis. Diverticulitis. So, I know what you're saying. I do know what you're saying. It's not like Brock Lesnar now. Yeah, or even, I mean, coming off that dominant mirror win at UFC 100. Yeah. That's sort of coming off, but with a diverticulitis, you know, year actually it was coming off the Carwin win excuse me yeah so um, I, I will take a little bit of a knock there you're right so it, a little bit lower on Brock um I mean he, he knocked out Big Nog. Uh, granted it was a an aged Big Nog at the time um but if you look at those lists I mean compare him with DC there would you rather have you know a win over Stipe and, and two over Barnett or two over JDS and one over Brock um I, I think I want the two over JDS and the one over Brock Lesnar instead um and that's why Cain Velasquez comes in at three all right, well said. So now we'll move to two and a one, and I think this is where you see the resumes start to pull apart from the other ones, and these are two guys at two and one that just fought in what I really consider the golden age of heavyweight fighting. So without further ado, number two is Big Nog. Yeah, so I, 
and I think we're going to get a lot of hate on this one, but there was quite a bit of support of Big Nog, and I was not an original supporter of him. Went back, looked at the resume, and yeah, he was beating everybody in a time where Pride had the best heavyweights in the world, and they had a ton of them. The depth was crazy. If you look at the wins this dude has, he has wins over Coleman, Verdum, Barnett, Randy Couture, Tim Sylvia, you know, like, uh, Hendo, Mirko Krokop. Like, dude, he's got wins over such crazy good fighters, and he's beating them when they were younger and more in their prime, too, and he's finishing a ton of them, too. His resume is so damn impressive. I highly suggest if you are the type who, you know, goes to Tapology or Wikipedia to look at records, look, really look back at Big Nog's record, because I think it's going to change a lot of your minds about where he fits in this history. So Coleman, Redoom, Barnett, Randy, and Sylvia, that's five former UFC champions. Yeah, he beat Dan Henderson, who was really a light heavyweight. Actually, really, he was a middleweight. But still, nonetheless, it's Dan fucking Henderson, American hero. And if you don't like Dan Henderson, you're a terrorist. And then, of course, he has the win over Merker Krokop. If you're a new fan, if you're into jiu-jitsu, please, I beg you, I'm pleading with you, go back and watch Big Nog uh, versus Bob Sapp, which is just, <laughs> I don't even know. It's like, it's it's everything in life. It's a, it's a smaller man struggling with a bigger man, and jiu-jitsu prevails. Like Henzo Gracie says, jiu-jitsu, never leave home without it. God, do I love fucking Big Nog. Hate tweet at us at Top Turtle MMA if you disagree. I will fight you over this. We'll get then to number one, uh, and it should come as no surprise. I already gave the spoiler alert. Number one of the greatest heavyweights of all time is... Fedor. Yeah, you got to give it to Fedor here, too, because as I said before, at a time when the uh, Pride had the very best heavyweights and had a ton of the very best heavyweights, he beat them all. I mean, like, he beat Arlovsky back in the day. He beat Tim Sylvia back in the day. He beat Mark Coleman back in the day. He beat Kevin Randleman, Big Knock, Hunt, Crow Cop, Gary Goodrich. Like, this was the time where heavyweight was not only filled with killers, it was filled with roided-up killers, and a portly Russian just beat them all. And he beat them all handedly. Um, so for that reason, I mean, I, I think if you're looking resume-wise, there's nobody, maybe in MMA, never mind just heavyweight, all of MMA, has a record that beat as many fucking killers as Fedor. Yeah, and, I mean, even the Randleman performance, God, Kevin Randleman was such a freaking beast. Uh, Mm -hmm. Again, if you're a newer fan, I beg you, go back and watch the Kevin Randleman fight versus Fedor. Fedor gets slammed on his head. It's freaking crazy. But he's the GOAT, and, you know, you try not to let, when it comes to Big Nog, when it comes to Fedor, those last couple of fights, although Fedor is on a win streak right now, uh, but you try not to let Mm -hmm. the later part of their career necessarily take away from when they really were at their very best and i think that's one thing with nog is yeah you know the ufc probably didn't get the best version of big nog he definitely through some wars i would say the bob sap fight probably took a year off his life mm-hmm. if you're a scientist or a doctor tweet at me let's talk about it i bet it's true um so again let's redo this list number five was steep number four was dc number three was kane number two was big nog and number one was fedor we are at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. We love getting your feedback on this kind of stuff. We appreciate everyone coming in with what they thought to help us settle some of these debates, uh, and we'll keep doing more in the future. So we will move then to our UFC breakdown. 
of uh, the Denver card, the 25th anniversary show. Pretty pumped about it. They're even using the old school logo for it. I saw in some of the media uh, press briefings. Uh, so that's exciting if you're an old school fan such as myself. I hope Bill Superfoot Wallace gets to commentate one match at least and maybe <laughs> even burp into the microphone again. Uh, but that all being said, let's get to the breakdown. Gumby, does any company sponsor this UFC Denver breakdown? Of course, this UFC Denver breakdown is brought to you by BJJT Club. BJJT Club is the only subscription service dedicated to bringing you high-quality, uniquely designed t-shirts that show off your love for the gentle art. Just pop in your information, and they freshen up your wardrobe each and every month. That's right. Each and every month, you're going to get a brand new, uniquely designed t-shirt just for you. Plus, there are no contracts and no commitments, just the stuff you want in an easy and convenient manner. Check them out at BJJT Club. that's BJJTEEClub.com, and make sure you use promo code FLOW, that's F-L-O, for 5% off that first shirt. Uh, my UFC Denver breakdown is going to start today with the main event. Uh, I'm taking Korean Zombie over Yair Rodriguez. Uh, even with the layoffs for, for Zombie, uh, I like him as a negative 135 favorite here over Yair's plus 115. Um, I think the takedowns could come into play. Yair tends to be pretty complacent when it comes to being on his back. He gets on his back, looks for subs, isn't looking to get up. I think he would be wasting the advantage he has on his feet there, and I can definitely see that happening in Zombie taking advantage of it. I'm also taking the underdog, Donald Cerrone. That's right, under Underdog plus 180 underdog. You're almost getting two to one money on him against Mike Perry at negative 165. Look, I think Mike Perry is a powerful puncher, and I think Cerrone doesn't necessarily have the strongest chin, but I also think Cerrone is just so technical, and he does a really good job of using his kicks to stay away from big power punchers. Um, the only people who have really beat him tend to be people who can be more technical than him, and uh, I just don't see Perry doing that. Uh, and then for my last pick, I'm going with Ray Borg, uh, who is a pick'em t- with uh, Joseph Benavidez. I-, I just think Benavidez, last time I looked real slow compared to how he used to look and Ray Borg is still in that sort of sweet spot where he's in his prime he's as quick as he's ever been uh, and I think that that tends to be really dangerous for Benavidez and uh, since Sergio Pettis beat him I'm definitely taking Ray Borg so once again that's Korean Zombie uh, over Yair Rodriguez Donald Cerrone over Mike Perry and Ray Borg over Joseph Benavidez this has been another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast on Flow Combat we want to thank all of our sponsors ADK Fightwear Sheathon Underwear, Sisu Mouthguards, and BJJT Club. We also, as always, want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. I want to remind you to follow us on Twitter. You can follow me personally at Gumby Vreeland and make sure to follow the show at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. We've got some awesome contests going on there all the time, giving stuff away. Plus, we've got cool trivia each and every week and fun help on our countdown. So make sure you head on over there at Top Turtle MMA. I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland. I was joined, as always, by Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you next week.